This episode of Stamets Say What is brought to you by Akamai. Akamai is the world's largest distributed edge compute platform. To deliver and protect your digital experiences worldwide, tap into Akamai for its unrivaled intelligence, performance, and scalability. Follow us on Instagram at, at Akamai Careers. That's A K A M A I Careers. Hello, my name is Amri Imafadon and I am CEO and head stimmit at Stimmits. I'm Carla, a university student currently in my third year. And this is the Say What podcast, Stimmits Say What, which is the latest intervention by Stimmits to help guide you into STEM, which stands for Science, Technology, Engineering and Maths. Throughout this 12-part series, we will be discussing experiences of STEM careers, the various routes into STEM, and all the advice that you, the listener, as well as myself and Carla, wish that we had known all along the way. It's much easier when you have the advice, you know, it's like hindsight. This podcast is like hindsight for you before something has happened. Being proactive makes a huge difference in your career, at least it has for me. And I think when you start to take control and bring it into your own hands, you can really start to see change. And this week's guest is Holly Boothroyd, a passionate developer, software engineer, and founder of Her Hello World. We're going to be asking, what's the deal with the STEM gap? How did it happen? How can we support each other? And how can we break it down? Holly, welcome. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) Yes. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. (laughs) And I'm super excited to have you. I remember you coming along as a mentee years ago, but you came in as a mentee on our Student to Stemet program and went through that, learned and grew. And then you started your job and you've also come back as a mentor. So we feel like you've seen this STEM gap almost from both sides now, right? Yeah. So I was very lucky because, I mean, I've always been quite interested in technology growing up in it, kind of growing up in an area where there was just a lot of tech around. So my interest in tech really came through like playing games and, you know, having fun. Like it was inspired by, again, me and just enjoying myself. So I ended up going through high school and a couple of games, programming camps and stuff like that. Got to the end of high school and a lot of school you go through and Everything is incrementally built up over, you know, 10, 20 years of being in the education system. So sometimes, you know, taking on something like programming is kind of a little bit daunting because it's just a new way of thinking and a new thing to do. So I definitely had a challenge to this at the start. But by the time I ended up getting to the end of high school, I was so inspired by the idea that you could create anything that you put your mind to, that you could have so much impact across so many different places in the world and so many different people by just sitting down and doing lots of typing. And so I thought that was very cool. And it did just also enable me to have a lifestyle that I really liked, you know, which means I could work anywhere, live anywhere, all that sort of good stuff. But after that, I did computer science and business in high school or in university because I wanted that mix of education, both the technical and the business. I wanted to be able to bring my ideas into life. And as you get older or more experienced or higher levels, you kind of move a little bit away from the day-to-day engineering and more into the business. I wanted to have those skills too. But it really wasn't until my university that I actually met my first female like women in tech friends and that made a 
huge difference. I think I started to realize then like how much of a gap in my just kind of personal community I really felt when I started having those friends. And, you know, that is when I started to be able to feel so much more confident about sharing what my interests were outside of just like my tech nerd friends. Like it was something I started to be able to speak about to anybody and not feel like this is something I should hide away. So the community aspect does make a huge difference. And of course, during my my university experience, that's when I did my internship. That's when I first joined the STEMETs and they helped me do my soft landing into reality and into the industry. And I learned so much. I'm so grateful for that experience. So when I finally graduated and got back to working, it was definitely something that was important to me to pay it forward a little bit and go be part of the program again. But on the other side, that thing you're talking about with that community aspect is something that I'm realizing so much now. I went to all girls school and then I went and studied art for a year, which is also a very quite female environment. Then I got to uni and I was like, oh my God, there are five girls in this room. But like having people to relate to and having those women I found has been like essential to surviving. <laughs> and feeling like you're not like you're not the only one, which I think I think is super important. What are you doing at the moment, Holly? We've heard a little bit about your STEM journey so far. What's the latest stop, the current stop? I don't know if I can call it a stop. Current location on your STEM journey? I've done a few things. So I work at Microsoft now. Super happy to be working there. It does mean, again, that I get to reach just loads and loads and loads of people. Obviously, that comes with a little bit of pressure because you get it wrong and you will find out. My first team I worked on, uh, we worked on Paint 3D. So we were democratizing access to 3D creation. That's on like every Windows device. It's free. The next thing I worked on, I worked on an Xbox off console experiences for a bit. So that was really cool for me because I told you I was really inspired by games at the start. So to work on the console that inspired me just was like the coolest experience. Now I work on a team that does search assistance and intelligence across Windows and Edge. So my job involves working across File Explorer, Start, different shell experiences, Edge, the Internet Explorer, whatever, the new version of that. And so it does require a lot of different languages. I work across a bunch of different languages, a bunch of different tech stacks. Some of them are brand new. Some of them are 25 years old. So I kind of joke around that my team are a little bit guns for hire, almost programmers for hires, because we kind of just jump across lots of different things, build really cool experiences, help bring things to this new modern way of working. So it's really good. It keeps things interesting. It does mean that I have to constantly be learning new things and constantly be evolving and adapting, but it means every day is different. So that's great. That's so exciting, right? That's one of the reasons I've chosen to come to tech. You're taught to be like a builder, but like a really cool <laughs> new age builder. And you're always learning lots of like new things. It's, it's exciting. <laughs> I love that, Carla. It is like building, isn't it? I've never had that. Of course, we are like building apps. You use the word build all the time. <laughs> We're kicking off with our first big what. What is the STEM gap? For me, at least, the STEM gap is that you'll see across all of these STEM subjects, for the most part, you'll really notice there's quite a significant gap of women or just other underrepresented or marginalized groups. And so it's kind of this idea that there's just such a smaller percentage of people being represented in these different spaces, especially when you look deeper into intersectionality, like Black women in tech is like mere percentage points. It's so low, but it's so important because STEM in particular reaches every part of the world and every industry and has 
such deep impacts on the way that we live. It means a lot to have these products or things being created with everybody in mind. And the best way to do that is to have the people who you're trying to serve be reflected in the teams. Even just like little things in my kind of day to day, I do notice where it's like, you know, the perspective that I have hasn't been shared or expressed. And so there is a gap here. And then it's important for me. And as you know, the unique value that I get to provide is that perspective and experience and help really adjust the products that we use so that or create so that they can really support everybody on this planet, not just a small fraction of the people on this planet. Um, And there's many historical reasons why that started to exist and a lot of reasons why it still exists that we're working on tackling. You hear a lot like, oh, 2%, 5%, whatever. But then hearing how that then translates into the products, which in our everyday lives really hits home about why it's so important. It's definitely about the implications rather than the numbers, which I think folks sometimes, like you're saying, kind of get like distracted by the numbers and by the proportions. Like with Stemets, our whole vision is that women and people of all genders are proportionally represented in and across the STEM industry. But I think you're right. It's like, there's a reason why this is a bad thing. And it's not just a numerical, it's not 50-50 and it should be 50-50 because they're in the population. And even with the black women point that you were mentioning there as well, Holly, like, you know, there is something to baseline and say 3% of the folks in the UK, for example, are black. But actually it's not about the numbers. It's about the fact that, yeah, when you sit down and you try and use a product or you try and use a particular tool that someone else has built, if you've not been part of... The considerations, the assumptions, you know, the processes, the thinking, the prioritizations, then that's going to impact your use of that product, right? That's going to impact whether that product helps you and in a lot of cases ends up hindering you because it's almost as if you didn't exist and weren't important enough, right, when they were creating that product. I end up talking about it quite a lot. So as folks will know, I've got a new book out called She's in Control and talk a little bit about like the power of problems. And it is that thing of there's so many problems that we have as women, right, that we have as folks who may be slightly different from that default tech person, that if we're able to solve those problems, there's analogous problems that are elsewhere that actually we could probably solve you know, lots of things in one go, <laughs> if we use that knowledge. And we have serious problems. I love talking about this as well on the tech platforms and the tech, really serious tech conferences where the room is like full of like hundreds of men and I'm there like, well, periods. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh. and I'm like, yeah, periods, periods, menopause, periods. These are all problems. And when you consider that some people have really heavy periods and they just carry on with life, right? And they solve that as a problem on a daily basis while their period is happening. And it's like, there's so many things that you might learn, right? In trying to manage a heavy period that are probably useful in other places, right? But you know, you're not able, we're not like valuing that to be like, that woman lives through a lot every month. I think she knows what she is talking about when it comes to, I don't know, blood or pain management or whatever else it might be. I think it is important to look at the the gap in that way. So I think it's time for another what. What do you think are some of the challenges that women face when entering STEM careers that I guess both of you have seen that, have, that are why we have this gap. For me personally, when I look at it, I think that there's loads of barriers all along this kind of like educational and career pipeline. And a lot of the reasons that people try to attribute to the reason that we have this STEM gap or some of these challenges is this just this idea that girls are not interested in STEM. And I fundamentally disagree that 
gender or any of these pretty arbitrary things have anything to do with anybody's interests or what they're interested in. I think that it's probably a lot more down to society, media, the opportunities that you have available, the things that you're exposed to, things like that. So in my experience of trying to help people on my Her Hello World platform of trying to help people get into STEM subjects, a lot of the time, the reason why they're coming at it later is just merely the fact that they weren't given opportunities. Like one of my friends growing up here, she also went to an all-girls school. She had to move schools to go to the boys' school to do her computer science education. And I just think that to me is just such a glaring issue because, wow, not only has she had to be brave enough to, you know, defy all the stereotypes that's trying to tell her that she's not going to be fit for this or she's not smart enough or whatever else, she has to sign up for the class. She now has to leave an environment where she is comfortable, feels safe and that her friends and then be surrounded by a bunch of people that don't like her. She then has to put in the extra effort to even arrive at that place. Like how many more barriers can we put in front of somebody just so that they have the opportunity to even explore something that might be interesting for them? I've spoken to people where they say that their teachers don't think that they're going to be good enough or their parents say that this stuff. And it's just like, imagine how harmful that's going to be for your internal confidence that these trusted people in your community are telling you that like you are fundamentally not good enough for this thing. It's a lot of these like barriers that are artificially put in front of people that stop people from, you know, taking the opportunities or having the opportunities to get interested in the first place. And so this is why I quite like all the things that the STEMettes do in terms of all these different activities, giving people hands-on experience, introducing people to role models, having people like actually understand what the industry is like. I think that makes a huge difference on people's perceptions and then gives people the confidence to take that next step, especially when there are still these barriers, push through those barriers and still pursue what is interesting and exciting for people. I think it's a lot of the things to take on when you first join a new role. I mean, I really benefited from the mentorship that I received in the STEMettes. I also had two other mentors at the time getting these different perspectives from people in different parts of the industry and in different parts of the company, different genders, like all of these different things. I think there's just so much to learn and grow and that you're confronted with and new challenges and new people that having somebody with some experience helping guide you through that makes a huge difference. Everybody goes on about mentors, 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 and there's a reason why it's because they make a huge difference. So would you say that that's one of the key things you see as a means to improving this problem and breaking down those barriers? Things like the STEM apps and other kind of platforms which are offering things like mentorship. Do you think that's the key? I think it's definitely an important part of a wider solution. So I think the STEMETS is really useful at helping with some of these barriers that have been put in place. But fundamentally, I would like to see high quality education put into every school, more of a deep involvement with things like the STEMETS or companies or whatever, you know, bringing people into classrooms, into schools where people already are, again, removing those deep underlying problems so that people 
feel like the community is there already. I want to solve the real issues, and I think that's going to take a, an enormous amount of effort across so many different things just to even get people into the place where they feel, again, confident, supported, and able to go into these parts of the industry. There's a whole other part of this, which is when they get into the workplace, how are we making sure that they're supported, leveling up, and retained? And that's a lot of the stuff that I do now like with the women at Microsoft Group is a huge focus on retention, a higher level you know, like more senior people, also, of course, early in careers as well. But this idea that there is a bit of a gap in women at these like higher levels, that's a lot of what you end up hearing more about with this gender pay gap. There's just a massive amount we need to do to change the workplace so that it is a place where women and marginalized communities actually feel supported and have the opportunities that they need to succeed. And I think it's important to look at both of those things and look at all of those points. I think it's the we call it like the attraction. We talk about the retention and then we talk about the leadership piece as well, right? And it's the whole thing. I don't really necessarily want to call it the leaky pipeline, but I think it's definitely something that needs to change from the top, right? As well as from the bottom of here's what we're doing before people enter into the industry. And we'll have this later on in the series, but it doesn't have to be GCSEs and like school, but it could be whatever the roots are, like post school, if you're coming as a mature person into the industry, or, you know, if you're coming as someone who had a whole nother career, like Carla as an artist, and you're going to kind of come across. So I think that's important. I think it's important, like you're saying, Holly, about how folks stay and don't become part of that gap and, you know, aren't almost pushed out of these spaces or made to feel again, like they're not supposed to be there or have their confidence stripped of them again. But I think it is also as well about that gap at the top, because I think this is definitely something we see across the Mets and lots of the bits that I do that if we look at women in leadership and how women get to leadership and how you then are able to change the culture of a place and allow folks to know that they can thrive in a particular place because of who the leaders are, what the leaders look like, what's important to those leaders, the problems that those leaders recognise as more important than others. I think that's also really, really important. So what can we do to take control of our careers? When we're in that workplace, how do we then kind of create our own spaces? What strategies have you, Holly, found useful? There's two things. So obviously, we've spoken about mentorship, having community, all of those things. I definitely think those things help in terms of you know taking control of your career and just your general career success. The one that I've been speaking about a lot recently with people, being proactive makes a huge difference in your career, at least it has for me. And I think when you start to take control and bring it into your own hands, you can really start to see change. Being proactive is powered by being confident as well, or at least learned confidence is how I found it. So in terms of like examples of being proactive, it could be telling your manager that you're pushing for a promotion, having those conversations, understanding exactly what it is you need to get to those levels and seeking out those experiences that you need to upskill, demonstrate, whatever that is. I think speaking to somebody about it is really important because not only, you know, is it helping you really like identify exactly what needs to get done? I think it means that your manager also has an opportunity to coach you, line up opportunities for you. And when you're saying that this is what I want to achieve in this time frame, and we've spoken about it when it comes to the time that you're doing, you know, rewards or leveling up or whatever else, it's not a surprise to anybody what the goals are and what 
needed to be delivered. I think it builds in some kind of accountability of a two-way street where it's like, you know, part of your job as a manager is help me reach my career goals. Obviously, I have to take a lot of accountability and responsibility for that as well. But unless I'm communicating that to you, how are they supposed to have this two-way relationship with you? So I've found speaking to my managers, that's really worked for me. This is something, in fact, that you can do. You can say that this is my goal as opposed to just waiting until someone has recognized you. I think it just makes it a lot more obvious that that's what you're pushing for. And they have also benefited from the fact that they've spoken up. I mentioned that I think proactiveness is in part powered by learned confidence. And I say learned confidence because I think a lot of people struggle with confidence. I grew up really, really shy. I literally did not speak at all. I was like so not confident in the slightest. During my internship year, I had loads of imposter syndrome. My poor mentor was dealing with me crying literally all the time. <laughs> and I laugh now because it was such an important experience for me to go through, but it was just a lot. There was just a lot of new experiences, being challenged in new ways with really intelligent colleagues who've been working in the industry for 10 years. And I was like, why can't I do all of these things or as fast as they can or whatever. So I was kind of really being my own worst critic. But what I realized after time and time of kind of just like working through my stuff and building things was even if I didn't know how to do something, I would be able to learn and grow and deliver something that was at quality and met things. And so it became a confidence in my ability to grow and my ability to grow into anything. And so I think that's why it worked really well for me, regardless of what I was doing, because it wasn't a confidence in the fact that like, oh, I'm the smartest person in the room about this or, oh, I definitely know how to do this thing. It was like, OK, well, even if I don't know how to do it, I'll probably figure it out. And that has given me a lot of confidence to say yes to challenges that scare me or apply to things that I might not be 100% qualified for because I'll just probably figure it out. If the guys are doing it, why can't I figure it out? I've worked with a lot of people that don't know what they're doing and they seem to be the boss. So why can't I? <laughs> so I think being a bit of proactiveness, a little bit of learned confidence makes a huge difference. That idea... That you can go into somewhere and you're not going to know how to do everything all at once. Like I just did an internship this summer and it was that overwhelming feeling at the beginning of like, can you do this? And I'm like, oh, can I? I don't know. <laughs> it's just remembering like you've gotten this far. You've learned so many things. Of course, you can learn some more now. And I definitely think in like an industry like tech or other STEM subjects, when things are constantly changing. You are never going to be the expert in something because there's always going to be something else. Being confident in this idea that you're constantly learning. I see my imposter syndrome now is that I am in a place where I am growing and pushing. And I'm going to be better at the end. Seeing it as something that is positive, that I'm focusing more on the growth than the fact that I don't maybe know exactly what I'm doing at the time helps you focus on the learning and the improvement as opposed to getting caught up in the tears like I was. <laughs> I think that is definitely a major key though. That's the nature of the beast really of STEM itself. Like there's always something new. There's always something around the corner. I mean, I'd argue that that's like the exciting part of it, right? It never stands still and you can never be like, I don't know, expert in like HTML because there's always going to be HTML6 around the corner. So I think it is important to be excited about the learning, excited about the figuring out of things. But I also wanted to pick up on something you said about 
being really intentional and really proactive. Because I think it is also something that, we you know, when we talk about the barriers folks are looked over, we underestimate particular people. People aren't given the right opportunities, like you said. Taking control is also formulating what are the opportunities I want? Like, what do I want to step into? And part of it is because, yeah, like we can't assume that your manager's a mind reader when you start working wherever you're going to work. But I think the other thing is then you can compare and be like, is this working for me? Is it not? And what do I want to look for in the next place? And say, okay, cool. Here's what I wasn't getting here. Here's what I wasn't getting from that employer or what they weren't promising as part of the job description or part of the interview process or part of the research I was doing. And so this is what I want. Like, this is what I'm looking for. I've done my research. I've spoken to my mentor. I've spoken to my network. You know, I've listened to the Let's Say What podcast and they said this. So that sounds like something I think I would like. And so you're able to take that to other folks and really articulate what you're looking for. And I think there is an element of confidence that comes from that, but also barrier breaking that comes from that, because then you're like, I can put a name on the thing I'm going to need, the tool I'm going to need to hit through a particular barrier, right? Or hit through the confidence that I was missing or allow me to feel I've been fulfilled in what I'm coming into. And I've defined that fulfillment on my terms rather than what that person imagines a woman of my age or a woman of my background is going to want. For me, in art, I was learning how to think critically and work iteratively, you know, do a bit of this, ask for feedback, do a bit of that. And improving is kind of like a sequential coming back, almost like an agile <laughs> workflow, <laughs> which and I'm now learning in my tech studies. So it was different in terms of the people and the way you work is obviously there are things like programming languages, you have to learn them. You can't just make them up. Whereas art, you can kind of just make stuff up if you want to. There are skills that I've learned from that, which are super transferable in tech. And I think lots of people from so many backgrounds, having that diverse background to be bringing those different ways of working and different opinions, different experiences, I think is only a benefit. One of the barriers, I think, when I'm looking at my early career in tech is that there seems like there are so many opportunities, there's so many jobs that want computer science or want other STEM degrees or whatever. It's kind of about, like what you said, Anne-Marie, about knowing what you want in a job. As your first job, I find it quite intimidating and a bit stressful to think, OK, this is what I want to do or this is going to be right for me. How would you look at that? I tend to say to people to try to figure out what they might want to build in some ways. So it's like whether that's games or AI or websites or stuff like that, trying to narrow down a little bit more the actual product that's being built, because a lot of the time that is how you can kind of work backwards and choose the tech stack behind it. Games, for instance. So like I always wanted to work in games. And while I don't really work in games now, a lot of the languages and technologies that I'm using are actually transferable games a lot of it is you probably pick a game engine like unity or unreal but the languages that you'll choose are probably going to be c sharp or c plus plus i still want to work in games and a proper game studio stuff like that but in the meantime i'm still building up my skills in those languages that i know are going to be transferable so you're talking about coming from art those transferable skills are still there it's still you have loads of transferable skills once you're in tech trying to move over to something else and sometimes it might just reading articles maybe that's how you find yours sometimes maybe it's building it like these different languages some of them are nicer to work in than others some of them are slightly different ways of thinking about putting things together than others maybe it's 
that you want to do a lot more freelance and doing a freelance web developer is easier than being a freelance games developer, you know? So like kind of thinking about what is it that you actually want to get out and figuring out what that tech stack is that actually powers that tends to be the way that I suggest to people. You know, if you literally don't know what you want to do, there's obviously certain languages that are easier to just sort of pick up because there's a lot more documentation or they're just nicer to use. But if you do have an idea, I would suggest starting with one of those like AI to Python. It's probably a good start. Websites, obviously, or HTML, CSS, JavaScript, games, C++, C Sharp. So you can start tying some of these things together and just at least start yourself out with a language that initially is going to lead you towards what you're interested in. And if you then discover, hey, I don't like this anymore, a lot of the foundations and even just the actual language, what you type itself, is going to be similar. So picking up something else is just going to be a lot easier afterwards. So like that's what I do with my job now. It's like I started in C++. Then I moved to C Sharp. C Sharp was really easy because I had done Java in high school and in university and Java plus C++ basically equals C Sharp. That's how I think of it. So it's really easy for me to pick up just because it was similar. Like I knew the C languages, but then it was a little bit C Sharp and Java are kind of similar ways of thinking about it. So I could kind of just combine the experiences that I had and pick up the next thing, use those transferable skills or that way of thinking. So if you work backwards, figure it out, you are still flexible to change later. Um, it just helps maybe optimize your learning. I would double down on that last bit though, Holly, like it's always flexible and you're not locked into any job forever. Like if you ever end up in a job that you're locked in forever, then get out. That's a cult, not a job. But I think like it's, if we go wider STEM as well, right? Because this isn't purely about the tech like for anything that you're starting off with you want to try before you buy you want to give a couple of things a go and I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to not know and then narrow things down and be like okay cool I know I definitely don't want to do that and I definitely want to do that but I do want to try this out and I do want to try this out and maybe I'll apply for both and whichever turns up and comes up first right or says yes is where I'll start my journey where I'll start my path and then follow it along so I think you know, if we lean back on this Agile framework, which I'm sure we're going to have to do an episode at some point in the future on what Agile is. But I think you can have an iterative approach where whether it's in science, whether it's in engineering, like whatever you're doing on the mathematical side, there are equivalences in each of them where if it's not a programming language, although let's be really, really frank, and this is why Stimits runs the way it is, with a lot of these things, it is a programming language. Like There's a programming language if you're going into engineering, right, there's one if you're going into maths, right, and all the stats and all that side of things. So I think it is about just iterating and being like, OK, cool. Like, I tried that and I saw that. And sometimes I'm an experiential learner. And so sometimes you have to be in the thick of it to be like, yeah, this really isn't working. And here's excruciating details for why this isn't working that you then take, right? As you're like, it's almost like your anti-shopping list for the next thing you're going into. And you're like, well, if it's outside, I now know I don't like to be outside. So everything must now be inside, right? And so I think that's really important when you're starting out and when you're considering breaking through these barriers. There's an element of confidence that can come from the ball is in my core. There's all these opportunities, all these options the confidence for me comes from I've chosen whatever I go into I've chosen this right I've evaluated it and this is something that's closer to what I can do and closer to what I like and closer to what's a bit of me than if I was going into another space that maybe wasn't me right or maybe wasn't what I'm into you have a lot of time you have we all like live longer now <laughs> so you can spend more time trying the different stem bits
we're almost done on our time. So I want to bring in the final what, which is what can we do to start breaking down these barriers altogether? There's so much that can be done. Again, I've just written this book. It's called She's in Control because we all have some part of power, some sort of agency. Even if we think we're really young and we've just started, like everyone has a sphere of influence. Yeah, definitely. I expanded my sphere of influence through posting on my Her Hello World account. But really, anybody has an initial sphere of influence, whether that's your institution or your friends or your workplace or even like your, again, your literal local community in your town and stuff like that. A role that I've really appreciated seeing young people in particular do is really standing up and saying that this isn't enough, that this isn't good enough, not just accepting what... It was the status quo that has been established in the past and saying like, all right, what are we actually going to do about it? That's some of the activities I've been doing internally at Microsoft being like, well, these are established processes, but like, all right, I don't think they're good enough. How are we going to change them? And, you know, following through the steps and having the conversations that are necessary to do that. And sometimes it's you have to spot the opportunity and lead from the front with that. I think that this is something that the younger generation is very adept at. They are very good at seeing that this is not good enough. This is not equal. This is not equitable creating these communities around it, speaking transparently about certain things, I think is really important. I'm a big one for pay transparency, but just even progression and conversations and stuff like that. I think it enables people to understand so much more about what's going on, getting rid of the hidden things that maybe are hidden because benefits somebody else and it doesn't benefit you by speaking transparently, by saying this isn't good enough, doing this proactive change change the thing that you're saying is the problem speaking to the people don't don't just let it slip and i think that comes back to the idea of when you have community it's a lot easier to gather momentum and support and knowing that it's not just something that's affected me but it's affected something else and there's certain times where i might let something be like oh it's not that big of a deal it's okay it's just affecting me or whatever else but as soon as I started thinking that somebody else two years down the line or six months down the line is going to have to deal with the same thing and I can't stand the idea that they're going to have to deal with this or somebody that is maybe a little quieter that's just going to be walked right over by, you know, the big bad boss in the room or something like that. And so sometimes I use the motivation of helping others like that motivates me more than necessarily sometimes just helping myself. And so I think, again, it comes back to this community. Like if you have a community of peers, you know, you're doing it for each other. You're doing it to support future generations and you have more power and numbers to affect real change that you're seeing in your life by just saying, you know, it's not enough and let's figure this out. Also, the fact that you're at such a big company, such a an established, to me, like a mega company like Microsoft, and you're still being able to and I have the confidence to say, no, this isn't right. I would maybe find it a bit difficult or think that in such a big company, things can't change or maybe there's too much red tape and this is how they've done it forever. So oh, maybe who am I to say this? It goes back to the idea that I think Microsoft has such an influence on society and the world that if they aren't doing the best and if they aren't leading from the front, then that's, I mean, it's just not good enough. And so there's been certain things that I've spotted. And so as the last 12 month intern, I just didn't think that was good enough because I think most of the UK is set up to hire 
for 12 month interns. And the reasons why it was changed was most people just weren't really thinking about what the impacts were, you know. And so I have now spent five months speaking to HR, recruitment, all the site leaders, trying to get this 12 month program back. And so I'm very excited now is that we actually have gotten the funding for the pilot program. So we're going to be able to get 12 month interns this year. I'm so excited. So I'm super excited. But like that, for instance, I started that process. And obviously there's a bunch of people saying, you know, obviously it costs more money or like, what is the need? And so I had to present the business plan. Here is the data. Fundamentally, this is how it does not agree with Microsoft's principles, policies and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, most of the time, HR is like, thank you so much for raising this issue and spotting this problem here. And like recruitment is like, yeah, definitely. We'll do like figure this out. But you had to be the one to spot the problem and say something and get the ball moving and really say, like, we need to be mobilizing about this. Like a lot of time people will just not do that. I mean, it's just an example of the ways that you can see something and change it. And, and then hopefully it's better for someone down the line. But again, I think Microsoft needs to lead from the front. And that is how you were leading from the front there, Holly, on closing <laughs> the STEM gap. It's been such a pleasure talking to you today. Before you go, can you tell us what the one piece of advice is that you'd give our listeners? Honestly, I do think it goes back to figuring out, you know, what makes you happy, how you define your own version of success. I know, Emory, you had mentioned something about, you know, what is your own fulfillment? And this is kind of wider than just getting into STEM. But I do think that we should all focus on what makes us happy. What are we passionate about? Work backwards, you know, try to be as proactive and thoughtful with your plan as you can, but then be happy to know and the idea that your passions or what makes you happy or your goals will change. And so as long as you're moving forward and gaining those experiences of building those skills, they're all transferable. Whether that's art to STEM, whether that's a different career, whether that's being a carer at home, there's always transferable skills. And as long as we're kind of constantly trying to improve and pursue what makes us happy i think ultimately we're going to end up exactly where we need to be well thank you so much for today holly you said some really enlightening things where can our listeners find out more about you and kind of the work you do if they would like to hear more the most obvious place is my platform her hello world it is a place where i try to you know democratize access to tech and career advice, you know, and try to help people thrive in the industry, overcome these barriers, just have somebody to talk to, see what it's like. Um, so I'm on Instagram and TikTok, also on Twitter, but under just my actual name, which is Holly Boothroyd. And then I have my website as well. So all under her hello world. Thank you, Holly. We are following. And thank you, Carla. Thank you also to you, the listener. You have been listening to Stemets Say What? A podcast brought to you by Stemets. To find out more about Stemets, visit stemets.org. That's S-T-E-M-E-T-T-E-S. Because it's hard because the E's and the T's, you know, the, the, the alphabet, right? .org. Or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube and TikTok via the handle Stemets. And don't forget to subscribe to the show, of course, so you'll get the latest episode of Say What in your feed as soon as it's released. And while you're there, why not leave a review and let us know what you thought? I've been Carla Rosario. And I'm Amri Imaphidon. Bye for now. This podcast is produced by Unedited.